grace, mercy, and peace be yours from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Take a look at this picture. You do realize what's missing, right? This is the picture of our church's logo, and hopefully most of you, all of you, have seen it at some point. But do you know what's not there? Well, I would venture to guess that perhaps two-thirds of people outside of these walls would not know what's missing. Maybe, maybe a third would. It is our denominational affiliation as part of our church name. The way Church is a Lutheran church, and we are a church that is proud to be a part of the way, even, or excuse me, the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod. In fact, to some people, people, it doesn't mean anything. In fact, to some people, it even means something bad. On October 23rd of 2016, the core group, the launch team that, that helped launch this church got together in one of our teammates' homes and we looked at a list of names and we picked out The Way as the name for this church. But in preparation for that meeting, we also took a survey out to just over 100 people in this community to help us pare down the list of names that we had to pick out one name. One name that would be a good name for a new church in this community. But besides ask their feedback on names, I also ask them this question. I ask, what does Lutheran mean to you? Well, one third of the people I talked to, they were, they were rather honest with me and they admitted they had no idea. Another third answered my question by not really answering my question, but they said, I'm... Catholic, or I'm sorry, I'm Baptist, or I go to a non-denominational church. But another third, roughly, of the people answered it rather negatively. One 30-year-old lady who works in the medical field here in Fredericksburg said this, what does Lutheran mean to you? She said, I think Lutheran churches are, for her quotes, church people, not people like me. Or take a mother of four who was standing next to her husband who was nodding his head as, as she commented on the church body, the Lutheran church body that she used to belong to, which is really only Lutheran by name. She said, my family, we used to go to a Lutheran church until they stopped preaching and practicing what God's word has to say. We left and we'll never go back. Do you know what nobody not one person who I talked to said in that survey. Nobody said, Lutherans? Oh, Lutherans. I know Lutherans because they're the ones who know the unconditional, unbelievable grace of God. And Lutherans, they're the ones who show the love that God showed to the whole world. They show it to this community. But really, that's not that surprising. Churches across America, and, and Lutheran churches included, are increasingly becoming known more and more, not for what they are for, but what they're for against. Everyone knows that churches, Christian churches by and large, they are against violence. They are against pornography, and they're against things like abortion, 
But do people know what churches or what the way church stands for? Let me put it this way. If some crazy guy came up to you in a store or on the street corner and asked you, what does Lutheran mean to you, what would you say? Would you be able to positively and optimistically tell them that this is what my church believes, this is what my church stands for, and these are the biblical teachings that I love to live? Or would you not be really sure what to say? Well, if you could answer that question, I'm excited about that. But if you can't or don't know what you'd say, I'm glad you're here this morning. Because today, we are starting a brand new sermon series at The Way called, What Does This Mean? And we are going to answer that good old-fashioned Lutheran question um, by taking a look at four solas from the Lutheran Reformation. What are solas of the Lutheran Reformation? Well, first of all, sola means alone or only. And the four solas of the Lutheran Reformation are are mantras or slogans that came out of the Reformation that summarize the biblical teachings and convictions that the Reformers built the Reformation on. What we're going to be looking at is that we are saved by grace alone. And this through faith alone. All of this is found in Scripture alone. And all of these gifts are given to us in Christ alone. Over the next four weeks, we're going to take a look at each one of these solas individually. But as we do, my prayer is not that you just know grace, faith, scripture, and Christ, and what it means to have these things alone be the reason for our salvation. But my prayer is that having heard God's word about these things, we will be able to show grace, that we will be able to show faith to those who need it. That we can be the Bible to the, to the people who may never read the Bible, but will only look to our words. My prayer is that we can reflect Christ alone in us and our lives. So we start the author, Philip Yancey, in his book, whose title I'll reveal in just a second, retold the story that one of his friends told him that maybe highlights grace or rather ungrace in the world today. The friend of Yancey worked on the streets of Chicago to, with people who were down and out, and the friend tells this story. He said that a young lady came to him hungry, homeless, and through sobs and tears told the story about how she was unable to feed herself and her daughter, who was two years old. She also told about how she was dealing with and addiction, and abuse because she had been selling her body on the streets. Through sobs and tears, the story went on, and finally the friend said this. I I sheepishly said to her, well, have you thought about going to a church for help? And what he said is, I will never forget the naive look of shock that came across her face when she said, church? Go to a church I already feel bad enough. Why would I go to a church? In response, in his book called What's So Amazing About Grace, author Philip Yancey said this, what struck me about my friend's story is that women, much like this prostitute, fled toward Jesus, not away from him. 
the worse a person felt about himself or herself, the more likely they would see Jesus as a refuge. Has a church lost that gift of grace? Evidently, the down and out who flocked to Jesus when he lived on earth no longer feel welcome among his followers. So what happened? The book's called What's So Amazing About Grace? And I think as we consider grace alone this morning, it's an apt question for us to assess. I mean, if you've been in church for even a minute, you have sung the hymn Amazing Grace. Before meals, you perhaps say grace. You've heard the pastor talk about grace, but do we stop, step back, and marvel at just how amazing God's grace is that it alone saves us? That's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And we're going to pause just right there before we go any further. Now, I'm, I'm not a doctor, nor am I any kind of medical expert, but one thing that I do know for certain is that there is a big difference between being sick and being dead. I mean, first of all, if you're sick, right, there's degrees of sickness. You can have maybe a little head cold, maybe the sniffles, or you can be really sick and need to go to the doctor, right? And so you go to the doctor and what happens? He's going to maybe prescribe a prescription or some medication or recommend a diet or exercise routine to get you better, right? So first of all, there are degrees of sickness, but also there are contributions that you can do to bring about your well-being, right? You can admit you're sick. And maybe the biggest one for a lot of us is that you can actually get in your car and drive to the doctor. Finally, you can do what the doctor tells you to do, right? You can take the medication, you can do the diet and exercise, right? And so what we realize, if, if, if sickness is what sin is about. There, there are degrees, first of all. There are some who need more help than others. And also, well, there's, there's a contribution that we can all make. And sure, it's the doctor. Sure, it's the medication. But in the end, it's us. It's us doing what the doctor says. It's us doing what he recommends us to do. But if we're dead, we realize there's no degrees of deadness. Sure, there's different ways to die, but in the end, everyone who's, who dies is dead. And furthermore, there are no contributions that a person who is dead can make. If you're dead, there's one thing and one thing alone that's going to change the state of your deadness, and that is a resurrection. And if one were to be resurrected, well, the contribution would not come from the dead person, but it would have to come from someone else. And that is what scripture tells us in Ephesians chapter 2. We are not sick in our sins in such a way where there's some people who need a little more of a nudge than others to get salvation. We're not sick in the sense where, you know, maybe we can follow this routine, this plan to get spiritually right with God. No, we are dead in our sins. We are dead as a doornail. The apostle goes on and he says, as for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us 
also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserved lived of wrath. All of us lived amongst them. That's the disobedient. All of us were literally deserving of wrath or children of wrath. So I know, I know what some of you are thinking right now, right? You're like, please, you got to be kidding. My grandmother is by far the sweetest lady you will ever meet. She is a saint, and you're trying to tell me she is in the same boat as people like Seifulu Seipav, who this week drove his truck into a crowd of innocent people and asked to hang a terrorist flag in his, in his hospital room. So what, what you're trying to tell me, Pastor, is that all of these adorable children that we see here at The Way, and all of us who, along with 55% of Americans, actually pray to God, are in the same boat as people like the actor Kevin Spacey, who this week was accused of sexually abusing a 14-year-old boy. Well, if those are the questions that we're asking, we need, to, we need to stop. We need to stop, look, and listen at what God's word is saying because what we're doing is then we are comparing or making degrees of deadness, right? But what scripture says is not that we are all equally as bad on the outside. Scripture doesn't say we are all as, you know, ugly with our sin of sickness on the outside. No, what he says, what scripture says is that we are all dead on the inside. We are all, each of us, good or bad, completely dead. 1505, Martin Luther checked himself into an Augustinian monastery. He became a monk. He gave up his family. He abandoned them. He, he went to a place where he would get up at 3 in the morning and pray, sometimes for 21 hours in a day. He would fast for days on end. Martin Luther would beat himself. He would sleep outside in the cold. And do you know why? Because he thought that was making him alive. He thought that was making him right with God. But here's the irony that the monastic system or the monks and nuns and their way of living wasn't making them alive with Christ. It was actually just showing them to be the walking dead because they were forsaking the thing that alone saves and that is grace. And what scripture says is that the same thing happens inside of all of us. All of us have an inner monk, especially people who go to church, especially people who get dressed up and look good on Sundays, especially people who give to church, who, who go to church, who read their Bibles, who pray. We do it. Why? Well, so that God will give to us, so that God will see us, so that God will smile and show his face at what we're doing and, and make us happy, healthy, and, and wise. But do you see, it's all the same whether it's the awful, terrible person on the street who is clearly wanting to be their own Lord and Master, or us good people who are in church on a Sunday, all of us have a Savior complex. And in so 
reject the very grace that our God gives. No, what scripture says is this, that we are all dead, dead as doornails. And if you're following along in our service guide this morning, that is our first fill in the blank. In times past where nails were larger and tried to be used for more than one project, um, doornails were not that. When a doornail was used, when a nail was used to hold together a door, it was pounded and hammered and bent on the other side and so that the nail never would come out, it would never be used again. And that's what scripture says we are. We are as good as dead as doornails, not coming out, not changing our state. If it were not for this. The Apostle Paul says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. For no other reason that I can think of, for no reason that makes sense logically, our God, who is great in his love, who has agape love, one-sided covenantal love for us, and our God who is rich in mercy, meaning he is overflowing with an attitude that was moved to help us when we are in our helpless state, we are saved by grace because of Christ. This is not a metaphor. This is not mythical speak. This is a real death to life scenario. And Christ says that it is by grace you have been saved. St. Paul writes this as he's almost getting ahead of himself, almost getting excited. He says, this, this is grace that saves you. So before we go on, as we talk about grace alone, it might be helpful to define it, right? In church, in our Bible classes, we've talked about grace as being something that is undeserved love. It is un- God's undeserved love for you with no reason to. It comes from nothing. We'll read on. We'll see in that famous passage that it is the gift of God. It comes from nothing that you did, nothing that you deserve. And so if anything, we know grace is this, right? It is a free gift of God in Christ, right? But this morning, I would submit to you that thinking of grace as just a free gift doesn't emphasize just how amazing grace alone is by itself. Why is that? Well, think about it. We've all received free gifts at one point in our life, right? For example, uh, just over a year ago, when my wife and I moved here, we opened up a checking and savings account at a local bank, right? On the way out, the manager, to be nice, wanted to give me, not Emily, gave me a gift, a free gift, a little stuffed pony named Snowflake. Now, that was very nice of the bank manager to do, right? Um, And even though I refused, said no, thank you, she gave it to me anyways, and I had a free gift, right? Which didn't change my life, which, to be quite honest, didn't do me any good, and I ended up giving it away. A gift, yes. Free, yes. But not life-changing. But think about this. What if... I was in an accident, a severe accident. I was in the hospital, and I was hooked up to machines, and that was the only thing keeping me alive. I was waiting for an organ donor as the only way to actually give me life outside of that hospital. And then a donor came, 
and gave me a free gift, the gift really of, of life. Two free gifts, right? One changed my life. One certainly did not. One gift gave the power of life. One certainly did not. And that is the type of free gift that grace is. And that's our second key point today, that grace is a gift. Yes, it's a free gift, but grace is vital. Grace is essential, absolutely necessary for living because without it, we're dead. The Apostle Paul says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. With three verbs, the Apostle Paul tells us how it is that grace gives life. God made us alive with Christ. He raised us up with Christ and he seated us together with Christ. It comes across actually much more beautifully in the Greek because these three verbs that he made, he raised, and he seated us all start with the same three letters. In English, it would be S-Y-N or sin like where we get the word synonymous in Greek meaning together with or the same as. In other words, what God is saying at the very same moment that I exerted my power and made Christ alive, I made you alive together with him. At the very same time that I accepted my son into heaven and accepted his atoning sacrifice for sin by his life, his death, and resurrection, I also raised you up and accepted you as my sons and my daughter. At the exact moment that Christ seated at, right, at my right hand in heaven, it was as good as though you were seated right there with him. This is the amazing thing about grace. And the amazing thing about these verbs are not that they start with the same things. No, even more amazing than that, they're all past tense verbs. God's grace is something that was given to us in the past. It matters for our past, our future of what we do and our present of how we feel or what we're doing right now has no bearing on this, that God has already, we are as good as in heaven because he has made us alive, he has raised us up, and he has seated us with Christ. And that's what got Martin Luther so fired up in 1517. You see, during that time, the, the Holy Roman Catholic Church, the Pope, the bishops, and the priests, they were selling pieces of paper called indulgences. It was not like unconditional grace, but rather it was grace with strings attached. These pieces of paper were sold under the false pretense that if you bought them, then, then maybe if you did the right things, if you said enough prayers, if you gave enough, well then 
you'd get into heaven. Then you would get God's grace. Or at least you'd get out of purgatory a little bit sooner. This wasn't grace at all. This was ungrace. This was the opposite of grace, an abuse of God's grace and a slap in the face to what Christ had done. That is why Martin Luther posted the 95 Theses to speak out about this abuse of grace, this sin, really. But do you want to know what the sad thing is? We're still buying indulgences today. No, we're still very much a Lutheran church. And no, we're not a part of a, a systematized uh, pilfering of people's pocketbooks in a, in a large church but we still buy indulgences every time we sell ourselves on the idea that I can yeah, just maybe do a little bit of something I know God's word says I shouldn't do. Because after all, God is gracious, right? And so there's always going to be grace for us, right? And so just like we have another piece of cake or ice cream and indulge that instead of eating the vegetables we know we should eat, so we indulge ourselves and we indulge our anger and let them have it instead of turning the other cheek. Instead of turning our eyes, we look and we lust after things and people and indulge the cravings of our flesh. Instead of turning our time, our talents, and our treasures into an investment for God's kingdom, we indulge ourselves and buy, buy, buy things that we want and the whole time, what we're doing is racking up a bill with God that we could never pay. And that is why Luther posted the 95 Theses. And that is why it is time to repost again on the doors of our hearts this message, this reminder of what we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You guys get a little preview here first. Second Corinthians chapter five says this, that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What recipients of grace and really the entire human race needs to remember is that when God was giving us righteousness, when he was giving us life, it was putting on his son sin. It was putting on his son the death that we deserve. So on the cross, Jesus shouted out, not my hands, my hands, ouch, or my, my head, my head because of thorns. But what did he say? He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because there on the cross, in, in, in a miraculous way, Jesus suffered the eternal death, the, the spiritual death that we deserved. And so as you're following along on your sermon guide, that is our third key point, is that this grace that we have been given is a free gift. It is a vital gift, yes, but it is also a priceless gift because it is a gift that God bought with his own blood. He bought with his own life.
the Apostle Paul closes out this section. I'm going to see if I can find it for you. Grace is priceless. He closes out with these words. He says, For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. The amazing thing about grace alone being a free gift, a gift that is vital, a gift that is priceless, is that when it hits you, well, it amazes you because it removes every attribution towards salvation that you could make yourself. It removes every point of pride that we have and it takes away all of our boasting. A beautiful illustration of how grace really shockingly, amazingly comes into our lives is, is seen in the famous novel turned play, turned movie called Les Miserables. Maybe some of you have read it. Maybe some of you have, have seen it. But you know that in this story, Victor Hugo tells of the main character, Jean Valjean, who, who went to prison for a number of years even though he was innocent, even though he was completely right in how he was doing things and living his life, he went and he looked on the, the abuse and the unfairness and the injustice that he had been shown and he thought to himself that I do not deserve this. I am better than other people who do deserve this. And so when he got out, well, he became a real criminal. And he said, for all the abuse that I have been shown, I'm going to show abuse to others. And he really got a prideful, arrogant way about looking at his life and the way he was going to live and the crimes he was going to commit. And that all changed. That all changed one night when he found himself shown hospitality by a pastor or a bishop. And he went into the home and he, he got a warm meal and a warm bed, but he stole. He stole all the silver and not just the, the target silverware, but the real silverware from the house and he was later caught. I want to show you a quick clip of what happens next. But as you watch this, don't just walk Jean Valjean's face, but look at everybody else's face as well as they see grace on display. Get in there! Put him down! Stay there! Monsignor... We have your silver. We caught this man red-handed. You had the nerve to say you gave him this. That is right. But my friend, you left so early. Surely something slipped your mind. You forgot. I gave these also. Would you leave the best behind? Monsieur, release him. This man has spoken true. I commend you for your duty. Now God's blessing go with you. But remember this, my brother. Seeing this some higher plan, you must use this precious silver to become an honest man by the witness of the martyrs by the passion and the blood God has raised you out of darkness 
I have saved your soul for God. You look in Jean Valjean's eyes, you look at the faces of the police officers, and you look at the women in the house as they saw a unbelievable, astonishing, amazing display of grace. Grace shocks us. It is so opposite to everything that we think that this, how this world should work, and yet that is what was on display. Jean Valjean didn't know what to do with it. Maybe you could see it in his face, and it's brought out even better in the novel where Victor Hugo says about, about him this, there came over him a strange emotion opposed to the hardness that he had acquired during the 20 years in prison. He was conscious that a, this pardon, this celestial kindness, this graciousness was the greatest assault and the most formidable attack he had ever addressed. What he's talking about is an assault on his pride. What he is talking about is an assault on his ego, on every reason he had for living the way he wanted to and boasting because of it. All that was taken away because of grace. It is grace alone that absolutely kills the ego, humbles us, and makes us realize who we really are, dead, deserving of death, sinners. And yet it's grace alone that amazes us, for at the very same time it fills us with God's love. It's grace alone that instills in us a love for other people to show that grace, just like the bishop. It is grace alone that thrills us each and every day of our lives as it fills us with amazement and joy and wonder when we stop and we look at it. Oh, if we looked at it the same way that those people looked at what was going on. If we looked at our God with eyes of amazement and thanks for the life that he has given us in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That is our final and our main point for the day is that grace alone saves and amazes me. Friends, it is my prayer that having heard God's word speak to us this morning, that you know what grace is, that if someone were to ask you, what does grace alone mean? What does this mean? Oh, you could tell them. You could tell them grace is a free gift, yes, but it is so much more. It is something vital. It is something that I need for my life. You could tell them that grace is priceless. Yes, it's a free gift, but it's something that wasn't free. It's something that Christ gave me. Or you could tell them that grace is amazing because at the same time it humbles me, it also raises me up to give me hope in life. But do you know what my honest prayer and hope is? Was well, that nobody would ever need to ask you. Because in the days and the years coming in your life, it is my prayer that you show the incomparable richness of God's grace that he has demonstrated through Christ Jesus so that everyone might see grace in you and in their lives. Amen. <laughs>